This is FBG Jen and FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottomed Girls podcast. Hey, hey everyone, it's FBG Margot, and you're listening to a new year, new rear, Fit Bottom replay of some of our favorite must-listen episodes. These are the interviews that'll give you insight, info, and inspiration to make this year your healthiest, happiest, and most awesome. And these episodes are going to be sponsored by our favorite all-natural deodorant line, Inspire Bath. In fact, for every bottle you purchase, they donate one to help build and empower women and girls at shelters and interim homes. Get yours and help give back at InspireBath.com. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Hola. Hola, hola, everybody. So, are you feeling a little sleepy today? <laughs> the nap. Who needs like, more coffee? Who needs more coffee? If you feel like you need naps, if you're always tired, you're going to love this show. I mean, who doesn't have sleep issues? I think like most people I know have sleep issues and we're going to talk about it. But our guest today is the sleep doctor, Dr. Michael Bruce. He's on the Dr. Oz show all the time. He is our guest today. We talk about all things sleep and napping and what keeps you from sleeping and how to stay asleep. And Jen, I've got to tell you, Kristen, I'm really sad you weren't there because this is absolutely one of my favorite interviews we did. He was fantastic. What do you think, Jen? I agree. I learned so much. We're going to probably have to have him on again. Yeah. Uh, because I, I don't know how many questions, it's like the most questions we've ever asked in an interview. I and, feel like. And I still really? had more and I still had more yes. to go, but it, we yes. went way over an hour and he was, yes. he had an answer for everything. Guys, if you have a problem staying asleep, if you have a problem, figure out how much sleep you need. If you have a problem, figure out what to eat before you sleep or what not to eat before you sleep or anything like that. If you, if you should work out, if yeah. you should sleep in or go to the gym, if you should nap, how long you should nap, what time of day you should nap. I mean, it was I feel like every time he would give, like, he would answer a question, then they would prompt, like, 10 more questions. Exactly. Like, well, what what I want to go down this rabbit hole and this rabbit hole and this rabbit hole. And let's talk about chronotypes and, you know. <laughs> so I told him a story. I have a problem staying asleep. That's my big issue. Like, I can fall asleep pretty easily anywhere, kind of, even in movie theaters and stuff like that. But I'm one of those 3 a.m., 4 a.m. peeps. You know, my eyes just get open. And then I have to tell myself, okay, watch your breathing, whatever. And I told him a story, and this is true. When I was a kid, my family makes fun of me for this. I was such a bad insomniac that for a while I thought the exercise would help. So I would ride my bike around the block. And my dad, who was also an insomniac, by the way, I get that from, he said he always talked about it like 3 a.m. one morning. He was like looking out the front door, you know, just like, and he saw me coming up the driveway. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, with, the, with the banana seat and the streamers and everything like that. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I couldn't sleep. So that's me in a nutshell. Like, I, That is terrifying I, as a parent. Oh, I, he like was yelling and crying and hugging me at the same time. Because, you know, oh. he's a typical Irishman. He didn't know what to do with his emotions. You know, he just kind of went all over the map, you know, concerned and like freaked out at the same time. Oh. Yeah, oh. I was a weird kid. So yeah, that's uh, that's my story, you guys. So, <laughs> <Love> you, Marco. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I 
and peculiar. So what do you? So what do you guys? What are your stories? What? What? How is sleep for you? What, Kristen? How is your sleep? Yeah, fantastic. I'm uh. so good at it, you guys. I'm the best sleeper, you know. Uh. I can fall asleep at any time. I generally stay asleep. I'm sorry. Like it sounds like I'm bragging. I'm no, just, no, it's okay. Just really good at it. Um, I do go through phases. <laughs> Sometimes I'll have like a few nights in a row where where I can't fall asleep. Usually once I fall asleep, I'm well, that's not true. But it's really just like short phases. I'll have like a week where for whatever reason, I don't know if it's hormonal or situational or whatever, but I won't I won't be able to sleep. But they, it always passes. So I don't really stress about it. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'll read. Um, and I just go in another room. And that's the one thing that I I learned years and years ago is like, if you can't sleep, like try not to do things not associated with sleep in your own bed. Um, and I, I take that very seriously. Like <clears throat> I'll read for just a little bit before I go to bed, like before I go to sleep in there. But, and then, you know, I mean, of course there are other things that you do in your bedroom, but, <laughs> um, but I really like, if I can't sleep, I will get up and I'll, I'll leave that room and go and read or write or whatever I want to do. Um, and then come back when I feel like I'm falling asleep, but yeah, sorry. I, I wish that I could share that with everyone because I, I know, like I've got friends who really, really don't sleep and it breaks my heart because sleep is the best. It's the best. Sleep. Sleep yeah. is delicious. I mean, yeah. like, there's nothing more wonderful and, like, soul-fulfilling than a good night's sleep, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I used to be a really, really good sleeper before I had my daughter. And then now I just feel like, I mean, I'm still a decent sleeper. I just, I just. You don't get the opportunity. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't say. get to practice my skills. <laughs> um, I don't get to show off. But I did find that in this interview, he gave us some really actionable items um, and things for us to do and so many good ideas for like lots of people. But we've done a few of them since talking to him and it has helped with my daughter. Like we, so she had been really, really adamant. I have a toddler daughter. She'd been really adamant about sleeping with all of the lights on all the time. Cause she was, you know, scared and like the dark is scary. And so we kind of comfort her and comfort her, but it didn't really matter. And so we're like, well, if that's where you're going to sleep, the lights are going to be on, fine. But the problem is, is that he basically says that when you are asleep and you wake up and you're with lights on, then it's just like everything and like your brain and all your hormones are like, oh, it's daytime. And then it's a really hard for you to go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. So it's like you almost have to start your whole process over again. And so How with do you explain her, that to a toddler? Right. And he's like, and she's probably fine because she has enough melatonin that, you know, she can just fall asleep. It doesn't really matter. But you, you're screwed when you go in there. Right. I'm like, okay. So, um, and he had suggested nightlights and we tried the nightlight thing and it hadn't really been working. But the other night, my husband, I, I don't know why we hadn't thought this earlier. It's like when you have a good idea and you're like, Duh, that is so obvious. Why weren't we doing that before? But so we took just her one um, bedside lamp that she was like demanding to have on and we just put a pillowcase over it. And it's like a, it's one of those cool LED lights. So it's not so going like, to get hot. So there's no, like, <laughs> it's not gonna be a yeah, it's not going to like catch on fire. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause you of course me, I'm like, you made me nervous for a second there. Like, no, no, no. Right. Well, we can't burn her down. You know, like that's not going to help catch the house on fire <laughs> so yeah so that that's over there that's it's a safe it's very safe and it just creates like a lower light so there's still light and she can still see but it's lower and she has tolerated that and she has been she's been sleeping better I've had two nights in a row of uninterrupted sleep from her 
That's oh not to gosh. say that my husband wasn't thrashing around and that last night my dog wasn't freaking out because of rain. Those no. things happen. <laughs> but 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 she has gotten better sleep and she's been happier because of it. And then we feel better because we're not having to get up. So, um, yeah, I mean, just just life changing. <laughs> I got rid of the alarm clock. I had an alarm clock in my room that I hated. Because my friend recommended it to me like 10 plus years ago. She was with, when I was at Modern Bride Magazine, she was the tech editor. She goes, this is the best alarm clock. Oh my God, you could do this, this, and this. It was too damn bright. And mm. it drove me crazy. And I think for all these years, it's driving me crazy. And then he said, get rid of it. I'm, and I'm like, why am I even using this? I've got my iPhone. I, I can tell the time when I need to. And I use a little kitchen timer instead. And it works much better for me. And so now that damn clock is away. And it made a big difference. It really did. And also he said a spoon, like a teaspoonful of raw honey. I've been doing that and it's been really helping. So, but I, I, yeah, I'm going to be talking. I think I'm going to write something for Fit Bottoms Zen about some of the tips about what I've been doing. Because I think it's, it's, like I said, you guys are going to love this interview. And then you're going to be like, boo, 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 boo. Why didn't you ask him this, this or this? And like, we only had a certain amount of time. So, yep. We definitely but if you guys time. listen to it and have questions, email them to podcast at fitbottomgirls.com and we'll get them back on and we'll get all the questions answered because I got a million more. We have a million more. And by the way, he it was his 50th birthday when he uh, yeah. called in. So, Aww. yeah, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Dr. Bruce, he's the best. So this is the interview today, you guys. You're going to love it. It's The Sleep Doctor, Dr. Michael Bruce. Dr. Michael Bruce is a clinical psychologist and both a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. He was one of the youngest people to have passed the board at age 31 and, with his specialty in sleep disorders, is one of only 163 psychologists in the world with his credentials and distinction. Dr. Bruce is also on the clinical advisory board of the Dr. Oz Show and regularly appears on the program. Dubbed the Sleep Doctor... He is here today to talk about why we are so darn sleep deprived and his best tips for how to get more and better shut-eye in your life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bruce. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're very, very excited to have you on the show today. It's myself, Margot, and on the line today we have FBG Jen. Hello. Hey, Jen. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you the first question. You are known as the sleep doctor, and you are an expert on, well, sleeping. So can you start first by talking about how the lack of sleep is affecting our culture and worldwide and how it's affecting our happiness and productivity? So that's a big question. So here's what I can tell you is we know that sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. We know that literally everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. So when we start to look at things like sleep deprivation or either the lack of quantity or quality sleep, remember it's not just a minutes game, it's also about quality, um, we see effects in many different areas. Just to name a few, we know that reaction time, you get three times slower Uh, as you become more and more sleep deprived. We know that weight gain occurs um, as you become sleep deprived. We know that productivity decreases by almost a third as you become sleep deprived. So, I mean, people get grumpier, people get more sick. I mean, honestly, the list goes on and on and on. It's it's pretty amazing how many different areas that sleep really does affect. Wow, that's almost uh, frightening (laughs) as a parent (laughs) of a toddler. I'm like, oh, no, what have I done to myself? (laughs) So with all of that in mind, can you dive a little bit more into, because I know a lot of our our listeners are, you know, they're into health, they're into feeling good, they're into weight loss um, or, you know, finding kind of their ideal, like, 
feel really great size. Yep. Can you talk a little bit more about the research that's on um, weight loss and sleep? And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So my second book was called The Sleep Doctor's Diet, Lose Weight Through Better Sleep. And it really delved into the relationship between sleep deprivation and uh, weight gain and weight maintenance. And so I'll give you the basics because it's, it's pretty fascinating. But um, as soon as you, your body starts to become sleep deprived, and you know, let's use a general definition of you're getting somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half less of the amount of sleep that your body needs. And by the way, that's different for everyone. I've been a six and a half hour sleeper my entire adult life. My wife needs eight hours and 15 or 20 minutes. If she got the amount of sleep that I got every day, she'd be sleep deprived, but I'm not. So remember, your sleep deprivation level is different. But just, just go with me for a second. Let's say that you feel you're sleep deprived. You've got a toddler, right? We know that in the first few years, parents lose approximately 200 hours of sleep um, just because of children waking up in the middle of the night. You're sleep deprived. Here's what happens on a metabolic level. First thing that happens uh, when you become sleep deprived is your cortisol level increases because your brain doesn't know why you're still up. And it wants you to, it increases your appetite because it wants to bring in resources. So your brain is saying to itself, I don't know why I'm still awake, but I probably need some fuel. So I'm going to go forward and try and, and, and increase appetite and try to get as much resource into my body as possible. The second thing that happens uh, is that your metabolism slows down. This is to actually conserve the resources that are still in the system. So basically, when you're up when you're not supposed to be, your body kind of goes into survival mode, meaning it increases appetite and lowers metabolism just to be able to maintain energy and to be able to have the right amount of fuel. But it gets much worse than this. Next we see is um, hormones change. So I know I'm all full of doom and gloom this morning, right? Um, <laughs> no, we're going to get to actionable tips. It's okay. We're going to ask about that too. I promise yeah. it's not going to be all bad, guys. We know that ghrelin, which is a hormone that actually increases hunger, and by the way, hunger and appetite are two different things in the brain, that increases by about 20%. And leptin, which is the hormone that tells you that you're feeling full, actually decreases by 15%. So just in summary, we've got high appetite due to high cortisol. We've got high hunger due to high ghrelin. We've got low feelings of fullness due to low leptin, and we've got a low metabolism. I mean, honestly, I don't think you could get a, a bigger recipe for weight gain if you tried. But here's one more study just to throw a little bit more fuel onto the fire, so to speak. It's a great study at the University of Chicago where they deprived people uh, about three hours of sleep um, than they normally would get, and then they gave them opportunities to snack. And they gave them healthy alternatives on one table and cakes and cookies and pies on the other table. I'll give you guys one guess what everybody went for. <laughs> right. The junk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and here's why, we think anyway, is when you eat high fat, high carbohydrate foods, it actually increases serotonin in your brain. Remember, serotonin is the calming hormone. And when you've got cortisol uh, floating around in your brain uh, at high levels, your brain doesn't like that. It wants to calm down. So it actually forces you to crave foods that would actually calm the brain down. And again, high carbohydrate, high fat food. So it's really a recipe for disaster. Woo! Yikes! Sorry, sorry, <laughs> ladies. Um, can we can we have you back up again? Because I, I think that the piece about the sleep deprivation levels and how that varies um, based on individuals. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you can find what that is for you? Absolutely. Awesome. So 
So remember, your sleep need number, not sleep number like the bed, but sleep need number is very individual. And by the way, it can change over time. So once you kind of hit your adult years and you're kind of in the 20, 22, 25 age range, you kind of have a feeling for how much sleep you need. But generally speaking, let's say that you really don't. So a couple of pieces of kind of sleep education, if you will. The average sleep cycle is approximately, approximately 90 minutes long. The average individual has five of these sleep cycles. So five times 90 is 450 minutes. If we divide that by 60 to get hours, it equals seven and a half hours of sleep. So right there, we know that eight hours is a myth, okay? Because mm -hmm. the average sleep cycles don't even dictate the right math, if you will, for it to be eight hours. So that's number one. But how do we figure out what we need? I've, re I've developed an experiment. I call it the bedtime calculator. So it turns out that most of us have a socially determined wake-up time, right? Mm -hmm. In my case, it's what time do the kids need to be up for school or what time do I need to be up for work or something along those lines. Right. So I take that socially determined wake-up time, I subtract seven and a half hours from it, and that becomes my new bedtime. Bedtimes are very easy to control. Wake-up times are not. So let's run the experiment and let's see what happens. So I actually did this. So my kids have to be up at 6.30. So I went backwards from 6.30 by seven and a half hours. And that made my bedtime 11 o'clock. So I went to bed, I ran the experiment. I went to bed at 11 and it failed miserably. Mm. I fell asleep just fine. I woke <laughs> up at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, okay? okay, now let me tell you something. There's only one thing that I like less than mornings and that's morning people. Um, <laughs> just to get a chipper for me. Oh no, you may be with the wrong people right now then. <laughs> <laughs> But let me tell you, waking up at 5.30 was not my cup of tea. Yeah. Went to bed again the next night at 11 thinking, okay, maybe I, I'll stretch it out a bit. No such luck. Then what I did was I went to bed an hour later. So I went to bed at midnight. I woke up at 6.30 on the dot, and I discovered that six and a half hours is my normal time. Now, what I further discovered, because let's face it, guys, I'm the sleep doctor, so I can measure my sleep anytime I want. Mm -hmm. My sleep cycle was actually approximately 78 minutes long. It wasn't 90 minutes long. And that had to do with a whole host of different things that I do in order to try to keep that sleep cycle shorter. Um, improving the quality of your sleep, daily exercise, reduction in caffeine, things like that can all help improve the quality of your sleep. And believe it or not, you can need less sleep. And so that's kind of how you figure it out is run the experiment. Take your socially determined wake-up time, subtract seven and a half hours, and see what happens. In two or three days, you'll learn very quickly. And by the way, if you if you need an alarm to wake up seven and a half hours later, maybe you do need eight or eight and a half hours. Extend mm. the time out and figure out what your body needs. Now, I will add one caveat, which is if you're already pretty sleep deprived, like a mother of a toddler, give yourself about seven to ten days of getting seven and a half hours of sleep before you change things around because your body may be trying to catch up. I, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. That's awesome. Thank so, you. So my problem is, and I've had this since I was a child, is mm -hmm. I don't have a problem falling asleep or getting asleep, but I, my problem is I often wake up at three or four in the morning, and then it takes me a while to go back to sleep. It can take like half an sure. hour. It can take me up to two hours sometimes. And I've had this, like I said, since I was a child. I have a, My family loves to tell the story that my dad had insomnia once, and he saw me riding my bike around the neighborhood, and it was like three in the morning. <laughs> 
and he freaked out, you know, because he's a dad and, oh, my God, what are you doing? But that's just how I was. My mind was, I didn't know what it was. So even as an adult, I still have that issue like a few nights a week. So how common of a problem is that? And what are your best recommendations to help me tackle this? Because I'm kind of losing it. (laughs) No problem. I'm I'm happy to help you find it. So here's how it works is, believe it or not, the type of insomnia that you are describing is even more popular than the I can't fall asleep insomnia. The I can't stay asleep insomnia is actually really the root of of probably 60 to 70% of the insomnia that's out there. So number one, you're not alone. Let me just tell you that. Number two, there's a lot of different reasons why something like this could occur. Something that I've been playing around with for the last probably four or five months um, has been really, really interesting. I've been working with a couple of naturopathic doctors, uh, integrative medicine people, and one of the things that one of them said to me which I had never thought about was, what do you think blood sugar is doing in the middle of the night? And I said, huh, let's think about that for a second. If somebody has their largest meal at the end of the day, which by the way, most people dinner is their biggest meal, Mm -hmm. right? There's a huge influx of sugar, right? Their blood sugar spikes pretty high, then their body has to metabolize through it. And what happens? About 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, their blood sugar literally falls off a cliff in the middle of the night. So your body says, uh-oh, I know I'm going to be getting out in three, four, five hours. I need to make sure that I've got energy stores. So it actually starts to produce insulin in order to be able to maintain that energy level by taking it out of fat. When you try, when your body tries to increase insulin, you raise something called cortisol. Now, remember I was talking about cortisol before, how that jacks you up. Mm-hmm. And so guess what? When your blood sugar dumps and your cortisol rises, it wakes you up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, you don't know what to do. So now I'm going to tell you a couple of different things that we've discovered that have been very, very helpful, that are very easy fixes uh, that people can do literally tonight. So the first one, and this is going to sound weird, but it really does work, is raw honey. So it turns out that taking a teaspoon, not a tablespoon, a teaspoon of raw honey, Manuka honey is the one I use, in the middle of, I'm sorry, in the beginning of the night, um, about 30 minutes before bed, actually helps maintain your blood sugar for six and a half to seven hours. Wow. So it helps even that whole thing out. Now, if you are diabetic or if you do not like honey, um, I've actually found a substitute called guava leaf tea, G-U-A-V-A leaf tea. Now, it's caffeine-free, but one of the things that's really interesting is it actually helps support both digestion and blood sugar levels throughout the night. So if you're sick and tired of your chamomile tea, Mm -hmm. try this guava leaf tea. And if you really want to go for it and you're not diabetic, put a teaspoon of raw honey in the guava leaf tea and you're good to go. That's amazing. Um, I've had had tremendous success with this. And honestly, you'd think, oh my gosh, like... Like, what's going on here? It really, we think there's a lot to do with blood sugar. But let's say blood sugar is not your issue. You wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. What the heck do you do? So number one, do yourself a favor. Do not look at the clock, right? (laughs) Because you instantly do the mental math and you say, it's 3 o'clock. I got to get up at 6.30. This sucks. And then you try really hard to go to sleep. Well, guess what? Trying to sleep doesn't work very well. Uh, in fact, raise your energy levels. And when you try to sleep, it actually makes it that much harder. So all looking at the clock does is raise your levels of anxiety. So turn the damn clock around. You just don't need any information in the middle of the night. That's step number one. Step number two, if you don't actually have to pee, don't. 
So many people do this, and what they don't understand is, is there's, a, there's an interesting statistic out there, which means basically your heart rate needs to be at around 60 or below in order for your body to enter into a state of unconsciousness. Now, it's not exactly 60, but it's around that 60 mark. Well, when you go from a lying down position to a seated position to then a standing position to go walk and pee, guess what? Your heart rate just jacked well above 60, and you're making your life much more difficult. Now, don't get me wrong. If you really need to pee, go pee. I'm not saying hold, hold your urine. I mean, if you got to go, you got to go. But if you really don't have to go, it's probably best to lie there and do deep diaphragmatic breathing to help lower your heart rate. My favorite technique is the four, six, seven method, where you breathe in for a count of four, you hold it for a count of six, and you breathe out for a count of seven. Um, this almost immediately begins to lower your heart rate, and it gives you something to concentrate on, and usually people fall back asleep. If breathing isn't your thing, one of the other techniques that I've used with a lot of patients, it's going to seem a little foolish, but I promise you that it works, is um, I have them count backwards from 300 by threes. Oh. And you're going to say, Whoa. nobody said there was math involved, Michael, <laughs> right? But here's the thing is it's so mathematically complicated. You can't think of anything else. And it's so long <laughs> on board, you're out by the life. Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> so it's another really kind of good one. Um, for some people, melatonin supplementation could be a good idea. So when people are over the age of about 50, 55, um, we know that melatonin production begins to slow in the brain. So for many of my patients, especially ones who are waking up in the middle of the night, I'm actually using a mild melatonin supplement for them. Key factor here with melatonin is dosage and timing. You need the dosage to be at a half to one and a half milligrams, not more. By the way, 95% of melatonin is sold in an overdosage format, three, five, and 10 milligrams, way too much. Yeah. Um, you need half a milligram to one and a half milligrams, and you should take it about 90 minutes before bed. Um, the only time you would take it earlier than that would be if you would get it in a spray that you'd like spray underneath your tongue, because sublingually it will actually get to the receptor sites in about 30 minutes, not in about 90 minutes. So those are some strategies that people can use. Oh, and by the way, if you do have to get up and go to the bathroom, do yourself a favor and put some strategically placed night lights along the way so that way you don't have to flip on the bathroom light. As soon as you flip on the bathroom light, you basically told your brain it's morning yep. and um, you turn off the melatonin faucet in your head. Thank you. That was awesome. I took a ton of notes just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that was so much awesome, awesome, amazing information. So for the flip side of this, can you actually sleep too much? So the data is kind of interesting on this. The, what, we would, what we've discovered is, is that if you sleep more then five, I'm sorry, more than 10 hours a night and less than five hours a night, you have roughly a double mortality rate. Wow. Right. When you look at the people who sleep more than 10 hours a night, there's usually one of about three or four things going on. Either they have depression uh, or narcolepsy, mm. or there's something going on in their sleep that's, that's making the quality of their sleep go down. Like, for example, sleep apnea or periodic limb movements, or restless leg syndrome. Those are the kind of things that really have a, a pretty dramatic effect and make people sleep longer. Um, the other reason that people may sleep longer is because they're not sleeping at the right time for their personal chronotype. So chronotype is a word that people may not know, but you actually probably do. If you've ever been um, heard of somebody being called an early bird or a night owl, 
It turns out that those are chronotypes. And many people that we think sleep long actually are night owl chronotypes. They just don't go to bed until late. And so that makes them sleep a little bit longer. Hmm. Interesting. So that would be, oh, okay. Well, let's, if you want to diagnose my situation too. Um, <laughs> this is like just a sleep therapy for, for Margot and Jen today. Um, but I feel like it's, it's fairly common in some of our situations. Um, so I know for me, I, I do tend to be more of a morning person, um, especially before I had my daughter and I wasn't sleep deprived. But um, forever I found that if I like wake up at like, you know, 4.45 or like 5 a.m., I wake up a lot more uh, refreshed and like like not foggy than if I try to get up at like 6 or 6.30. Um, what time do you go to bed? Oh, my gosh. I go like I go to bed pretty early, like 9, 9.30. 10's kind of late for me. So, let, so let's just make the math simple. You go to bed at 9.30 and you're waking up at 5.30. Is that roughly correct? Sure, yeah. Right. So you're probably sleeping too much when you try to sleep in. Late. Okay. Yeah. Right? I didn't know if it was like a light sleep versus deep sleep or like if you wake up differently from a light sleep to a deep sleep. You do. So yeah. it's easy, It's actually easier to wake up at a stage one and stage two than a stage three, four, or a stage REM. Um, and what ends up can happen is especially when you kind of go back to sleep, like let's say it's 530 and yeah. you've said to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to hit the snooze button or I'm going to get up in an hour. You're going to feel like crap. Yeah. Two reasons. One is because remember, the average sleep cycle is 90 minutes and you're waking up two thirds of the way into a sleep cycle, which means you're at the deepest stage of sleep. So that's not going to work. It's much better for you to wake up earlier than it is to try to sleep later. Um, I'm probably the only sleep doctor in the universe that says less sleep in some instances might actually be better for you. Yeah. Again, you're going to bed very early, 9.30 at night. So it wouldn't surprise me that you would wake up at even something like 4.30 in the morning because 9 to 4 is still seven hours of really pretty decent sleep. Yeah. Maybe with a wake up in the middle of it. Maybe two wake ups. My daughter also oh, well. sleeps with her lights on. She does? <laughs> My daughter, she sleeps and, with her lights on. And does your daughter sleep in the bed with you? No. Okay, so let's talk about light for a okay. second. So just like there's junk food, there's junk light out there. Um, light is the single biggest deterrent in sleep that there is, especially for kids. Um, there's a lot of data to now show that within the spectrum of light, there is a, a section called blue light. It's not the color blue. It's just called, it's just part right. of the blue spectrum. About 440 to 480 nanometers on the wavelength scale. That light, when it hits your eye, it actually causes a chemical reaction, sending a signal to the brain to turn off your melatonin faucet in your head. The reason your daughter is able to still sleep with the lights on is because she's probably got so much good melatonin and so much good sleep going on. But generally speaking, you yeah. need to go in there and turn off her light or give her a night light or something along those yeah. lines. Believe it or not, they now make night lights. There's one called the Good Baby, I think, uh, by Lighting Science Group. And this is a night light that actually has a filter on it so that it doesn't have the blue light but still has light enough for the child to be able to see. So that's, that's kind okay. of a cool option for somebody um, who's having those kind of issues, but probably something you definitely want to look at. Awesome. I will. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, for kids, melatonin is a no-no. All right? Mm, I didn't yeah. say that when we were talking about melatonin before, but uh, many people don't know this, but at high dosages, melatonin is actually a contraceptive, 
And I can't think of anything worse for a young female developing body than the introduction of a contraceptive when um, her entire reproductive system is not completely formed. Oh, no kidding. So wait, how old should you be? Uh, 18 or older. Okay. Would be my recommendation. Okay. For sure. So can you tell us a little about the Philip Stein sleep bracelet and natural frequencies? Let's hear about that. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you if uh, many of your people, their listeners are interested in more natural related possible sleep disorders. Because, you know, so far we've talked about several light. We've talked about um, we haven't actually even mentioned supplementation yet. But, you know, here's what's interesting about the Philip Stein sleep bracelet. Uh, one of the things. And so I was the person who did the original research on the on the bracelet itself. And here's what we discovered is almost 50 percent of people had some positive reaction for their sleep when wearing the Philips Stein bracelet. Now, some of their reactions were different. Some people reported more positive dreams. Some people reported being able to fall asleep more quickly. Some people reported staying asleep longer. Um, but literally 50% of people said something happened for their sleep. That was pretty good. Um, and, and if we included everybody that mentioned anything positive about their sleep, the number was, I think, over 75 pe- uh, 75% of the people. So it's pretty interesting when you kind of think about it. Now, the next question you're going to say to him is, well, Michael, you stick on this bracelet. How, how the heck does this thing work? And, and what's really going on behind it? So to be honest with you, we don't exactly know. Here's what we can tell you is embedded in the bracelet is a disc. And in this disc, um, there is a, uh, a frequency that is emitted. So most people don't know this, but the Earth actually emits a frequency. Um, it's called the Schumann frequency. And it, as you get closer and closer to the equator, people's bodies actually tune to this frequency. We think that this disc in this bracelet placed on your wrist actually helps people with that. So if you're somebody who is affected by, for example, binaural beats, if you're somebody who, for example, um, is sensitive to uh, electromagnetic frequencies, this is the type of device that's absolutely positively something you'll want to take a look at and try. Interesting. It is fascinating. I can't say exactly how it works because we don't know exactly, but I can tell you this study, and I mean, I was as shocked as anybody um, this study showed a lot of people showed positive effects. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I also appreciate you being like, we don't really, I don't, we really don't know why. Yeah, yeah, that's it great. Works, I it know, works. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah, like we can't, you know, but it's, there's yeah. lots we kind of can't explain that are incredible. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, people still don't know exactly why aspirin works. And I think aspirin's been around for like a hundred years or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so what, what do you think about um, like sleep trackers? Uh-huh. So I, I like sleep trackers, generally speaking, but there are some issues that people need to kind of think about. So it's really easy to measure a calorie or a step, right, or a pound, right? You can wake up in the morning, stand on a scale, and you know exactly how much you weigh. If you wake up in the morning and I say, how did you sleep, what would you say to me? A 37, a 65, a 94, right? there's no real metric or way to figure out how to measure sleep because sleep is a very complicated process. Um, even in the sleep laboratories, we have multiple measures of how to try to track and measure when somebody is in particular stages of sleep. So when you look at some of the apps that are out there for sleep, 
All they use is the accelerometer in the in the phone to see if there's movement on the bed or not movement on the bed. That is not an accurate indicator of whether or not somebody is asleep. So I'm here to tell you that most of the apps that are out there are not particularly accurate. You start to get more accurate when you have a piece of equipment that's on the human body, a ring, a watch, or a bracelet. Um, things like that can have a good level of, or let's say a better level of accuracy, depending upon the science that's being used and the data that's being collected. My personal favorite sleep tracker is a company called Sleep Score Max um, for multiple reasons. Number one, actually, it doesn't touch your body, but it sits on your bedside and it sends a radar signal out across your body um, and it measures chest compression to the millimeter underneath the covers. So it can measure your respiration, your heart rate, and your blood pressure. And we know that respiration, blood pressure, and heart rate are different in each stage of sleep. And so it's very easy to start to identify which stages of sleep you've got. But to be honest with you, we've got a much bigger problem on our hands than the accuracy of all of the sleep trackers out there. The bigger problem is who really cares if I got 12 minutes of REM sleep and 17% of stage three sleep when I don't know what the heck that means. Right, <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, I know what it means because I'm a sleep doctor for God's right. sakes, right? But nobody else out there knows what it means. So the reason that I'm so kind of jazzed up about the Sleep Score Max is you put in your age and your gender and it will actually compare your sleep after a certain number of nights to somebody your age and gender. Now I've got a measuring stick by which to say, look, uh, how am I, you know, a male, a 50 year old male, how should he sleep? Let me take a look at my data and compare and contrast that. That is where I think it gets interesting. But where it actually goes the extra mile, which I really like, is it actually gives you personalized information based on your data. So it'll take the information from the last three to four nights and then it'll say, hey, we noticed that you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Here's some strategies or some tips from a board certified sleep specialist to be able to, um, actually maybe fix that situation. So that's one of the reasons I like that one in particular. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the other trackers, but you just got to take their data with a grain of salt. And unfortunately, a lot of them don't give you really helpful information. I think that point about the activity or sleep trackers, I, I feel I, I feel kind of the same way about activity trackers in general is like, here's data information is great, but if the individual doesn't have any sort of means to do anything with it, <laughs> Right. know what to do with it it doesn't really make any like it doesn't even make a like a difference so exactly, um, exactly. yeah and it's frustrating for people because they go out they spend money on these things and then they're like well what do i do with it and then 30 days later it's you know it's sitting in the bedside drawer right right, right. um margo can i ask another question yeah go for it okay um, <laughs> i have like a million and a half sleep but i have one right after that okay yes 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 yes, yes. Um, well you know i can i'm willing to come back Okay. I'm okay. Just letting you know, I will answer every question you want, but I would okay. be more than happy to come back. Okay, we do a part two. Um, so I know we have a lot of we get this question from a lot of different readers and listeners, which is, should I basically, and and I know it's it's going to depend on the individual and how well they're sleeping and and all kinds of different stuff, how much sleep they need. But if you're struggling, if you're like, should I get up early in the morning and work out, or should I sleep? Like overall which one is best for my health? Can sleep. you give any sort of like sleep? Okay. Or none. Because here's the thing. Skip the workout, you, sleep. Well, because here's, there's a couple of reasons why. So first of all, many people are exercising early in the morning and it's actually not an optimal time for them to be exercising. 
believe it or not, early afternoon, like right after lunch is actually a really good time. Now I get it. There are people who are working and they don't have the ability to go in the middle of, of their workday to go have a workout. But if you do have a little flexibility in your schedule, um, working out in the, in the early afternoon can actually be more beneficial um, for your body. That's number one. Number two is you're far more prone to injury early in the morning um, because number one, your muscles aren't stretched and warmed up. And number two, your visual acuity is low. So I'm a runner. And if you're running in the morning, especially early morning, there's not a lot of sunlight out. And so it's very easy to trip. It's very easy to roll an ankle, um, things like that. So you got to be pretty careful about that. Also, at the end of the day, remember, sleep is healing. That's what sleep does to our body is it heals our body every single night. Why on earth would you want to deprive your body of the opportunity to heal uh, only to try to work it out? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The final point is, is that the more sleep deprived we are, the more we perceive our workouts to be harder. So even at the exact same workout, even if you're on the treadmill for 20 minutes at a level seven every single morning at 5.30, if you're not getting sleep, the more sleep deprived you are, the harder that workout feels. That's very true, by the way. I teach an early morning class. Mm -hmm. I teach a seven. It well, it's stinks. not that early. Yeah, it does stink. No, I teach 7 a.m. and they always want to push it to 6 a.m. and I'm just, I just can't do it. And I just don't. No, don't. Yeah, good. Thank you for backing Tell me up. Tell the sleep doctor. Said, <laughs> That's no what I'm going to say to the why. Okay. So here's <laughs> so here's my other question for you. So I listen to an inordinate, inordinate amount of podcasts. It's just something I'm passionate about and I love. Awesome. Yeah. And there's you get to know the commercials for them when you listen to them. And there are about three major brands that sell memory foam mattresses. <laughs> so what do you think about them? Because they really give you the hard sell, like this is going to be the best sleep ever. It's going to regulate regulate your body temperature. What do you think? So I'll tell you, there's a lot of different ways to kind of skin this cat, if you will. So first of all, um, not all memory foam is created equal. So sometimes we see memory foam that's actually being shipped over from overseas, like uh, Asia and China. Um, most people don't know this, but if it's not packaged appropriately, the salt air gets into the memory foam and it changes the structural integrity of the foam itself and you get really crappy memory foam. So be very careful about the memory foam that you're sleeping on, number one. Number two, memory foam is a heat reactive foam. As your body lies on it and your body heat touches it, it will pull away from the body. That forms these divots that are almost identical to your body shape, and that's how you kind of sink into memory foam. Memory foam is incredibly supportive. However, it's also insulative, meaning that as your body heats up and you sink in it, you, you, the heat has no place to go, and the heat can become trapped, and you can become very, very hot. So this is one of the reasons why you see a lot of the memory foam mattresses are using an outside material or what we call a tick um, that has some type of phase change material, um, heat transference material, that kind of stuff on it. So memory foam definitely can sleep hot. And if you are a hot sleeper, just about the last thing in the universe you want to be sleeping on is probably memory foam. Now, I'm a big fan of latex, which is a different kind of foam. It's a rubber-based foam. Um, it doesn't have the heat capturing properties that memory foam does. Um, and it's really nice. One of the biggest problems I find with memory foam is you get stuck, right? Your body heats mm -hmm. up, you sink into it like a little bit like quicksand, and then you can't move. Um, and that isn't easy because most people move throughout the night. Now, full disclosure, I sleep on a memory foam mattress. 
Why, Michael, do you sleep on a memory foam mattress? My wife has four torn discs in her back, and she can actually tweak her back in the middle of the night unless she is stable and stuck basically in one spot. Mm. And so that's one of the reasons why we sleep on a memory foam bed is because she sinks into it, and then we know she's not going to move and potentially injure herself. Wow. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Thank you. And the and stuff also, about the salt water, no one would have known. Yeah. Like, I would have never thought of that in a million and a half years. Yeah. Now, now, I will tell people an easy thing that you can do to discover whether or not memory foam works well for you is you don't have to actually go out and buy a whole mattress. They make toppers that are two or three inches thick. That you, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them at, you know, Mattress Firm, Bed Bath & Beyond, wherever, that are two or three inch toppers. Get a topper, lay it out on your half of the bed, and see if you like it before you go and you spend all the money on a full-on memory foam mattress. Yeah. Okay, because I know we need to wrap up. Um, I do want to ask about naps, though. Power naps, short naps, long naps, good, bad, indifferent, depends. What's your take? So I'm a big fan of naps and napping. I think that it works really, really well. However, people with insomnia cannot nap. Um, all it does is it makes it far more difficult for them to fall asleep at night. So napping is out for insomniacs. Napping is great. Depending upon what time of day that you nap, you can actually do different things with a nap. As an example, if you nap in the early morning hours, like between 9 and 10 in the morning, you'll actually have REM sleep in your nap and you'll become a little bit more creative. If you nap uh, around 12 to 1 o'clock in the afternoon, um, you'll have more stage 2 and you'll become more alert. If you nap a little bit later in the afternoon, like in the two to three range, um, you'll have more stage three, four sleep, uh, and that can actually help with a little bit with your memory. So napping at different times can actually produce different results. There's a great book by Sarah Mednick called Take a Nap, and it will, it's got a wheel on the front of it, and you can actually turn the wheel to the time you want to nap, and it'll tell you exactly what type of nap you have, what benefits it will have, and the length of the time that the nap should be. That is fascinating. It's cool stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> but how long should the nap be? I don't like naps longer than about 25 minutes, generally speaking, because if you get too deep into sleep, it's really hard to wake up. Kind of like what we were talking about before, where if you sleep in in the morning and then you feel like crap trying to wake up from it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but there have been plenty of times where I've taken a nap and felt worse, not better, yeah. uh, from taking a nap, and that's because you nap too long. Now, I'm going to give everybody a secret napping hack for them mm. that I think everybody's going to kind of dig. So I call this the Napa latte. <laughs> and here's what you do is you take a cup of drip coffee because it's got the highest caffeine content, throw three ice cubes in it and drink the whole thing. Then take your 25 minute nap. You'll get enough stage one and stage two sleep to reduce that level of sleepiness. The caffeine fits into that receptor site perfectly and you're good for four hours guaranteed. Whoa, that's amazing. It works like a charm. <laughs> I, I'm going to try that. Maybe today. <laughs> the caveat here is you can't do a Napa latte every day. You need to reserve it for times when you really need it. But in your case with the toddler, you might. Yeah. Do yeah. I'm like, boom, money. I wish I had that two years ago. Yeah. Right. Napa latte. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. So um, are you ready for the last question from us today? I think we're going to have to have you back on the show, by the way. But <laughs> Happy to be back on the show. Fire away your last question. So Dr. Bruce. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. So 
<laughs> so I was actually because the name of the show was Fit Bottom Girls, yep. and I'm a I'm a Queen fan. I wanted yep. to listen to Fat Bottom Girls, yes. so that's what I listened to to kind of you know get me in the mood for your podcast. That is the best answer ever we've best, ever had. Best ever. Yes, that's he. He's the inspiration. The, the Queen is the inspiration for Fit Bottom Girls. They were, I, I had a feeling, I wasn't sure because it's funny you asked because I was going to say, I have a question for you. Is your show named after the song? Because I was just listening to the song. Yeah. And we make the workout world go round. That's our. Absolutely. I love it. Girls, we make the workout. Yeah. You got it. That so, one, I don't need to sing. <laughs> so just, just a pro tip. Um, if you're a fan of Instagram, I was, I said this on the other show, but Brian May for real, he's the guitarist for Queen. He has an amazing Instagram feed. You need to just check it out. Okay, I will definitely do that. And for folks out there, if they want to find out more information about me, um, speaking of Instagram, I have my Instagram is the Sleep Doctor, and so is my Facebook and my Twitter, and so is my website. So if you want to learn more about me, just come to thesleepdoctor.com, and you can learn all you want. Awesome! Thank you so much. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Meets, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.